Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Tennessee week. Another divisional matchup. Yet another swing game. Third in the first four weeks. It just It's just great. This schedule's fantastic. Uh, BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Nate. Yeah, this, uh, this schedule is very front-loaded in the way that it's set up for Missouri and that's both good and bad because we're learning a lot about the Tigers in the early portion of the season. That's good. I like learning about my favorite football team. The bad part is you learn a lot about them. And if it goes poorly for you, a.k.a. the two swing games that we've seen thus far, then in the back half of the season, when three out of your final four games are against top 10 ranked teams currently, uh, that that could feel pretty rough. So <laughs> hopefully this week in yet another swing game, we get better answers than we did in the first two. Yeah, lessons are always better to learn when you win. Uh, a mm-hmm. little tougher to digest when you lose. But again, I mean, this this year, to me, to us, I feel like here at Rock and Nation, we always viewed it as you know, a developmental year. Uh, figuring things out kind of year. Accruing talent kind of year. So, no, it's not fun to learn lessons in, in one possession losses, but that's okay. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we can take away... And we've talked about this, I think, even last week, but certainly last year and this year as well, is that when you win all of your one-possession games, you look a lot better than you actually are. And when you lose all your one-possession games, you feel a little worse than you actually are. So this is this is basically the same team, for the most part, uh, as it was last year, minus a couple NFL starters. And they are going to do the best they can with what they got. I think that's the messaging that we've heard the most coming from the Mizzou camp this week. Uh, We have who we have. We're going to do what we can with what we got. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is doing all the right things and and taking responsibility. Uh, But in the end, you can't make the guys make the tackle. You can't make the guys make sure they take the right angles. And you can't make the guys uh, win their matchups every single single play. So... It's a flawed team, and it's going to be driven by the offense, and that's that's how it's going to be. So we sit here looking at Boston College, looking for any last lessons that we can glean. Uh, is there anything that you saw either on a rewatch or that you kind of thought of after our last show that you would like to talk about regarding uh, the Boston College loss? So the biggest thing upon my rewatch that I saw are, are two things. Um, one... Tyler Beatty was even better on second watch than I initially gave him credit for. I I said previously he was 
the best player on the field for Missouri for the large portion of that game. He like, that's even understating it a little bit. God, was he good? Um, the other thing that I would say, I think I was a little harsh on Connor Basilek's performance overall. He was solid. There were like two throws, non-interception uh, category, two throws that weren't very good. One of which was actually caught by Tyler Beatty on a big time third down conversion. It was not a good throw to him, but Beatty was able to convert it into a first down. That's all that matters. And then one other that I believe went to Barrett Bannister on a, th- it was either a second or a third down. And it was just a, a weird pass. He was rolling out. It was kind of a lazy throw. Didn't get there. And that, that wasn't great either. But otherwise, he was pretty solid. Basilek was pretty solid on that day, but he had two crippling mistakes that really put a damper on his day. So we'll we'll talk about him a little bit more as we go. But those are kind of my two biggest um, takeaways from it because, man, I I don't know what we can take away from this defense at this point that hasn't been discussed already. It's not very good against the run. Mm -hmm. It's pretty darn solid, actually, against the pass. I, I think you... I wouldn't say it's like a strength relative to co- legit contenders, but for this team, the pass defense is pretty solid. It's it's really not a bad portion of what you're doing defensively right now. They're not allowing a whole lot of big plays. Um, the pass defense is solid. The run defense is just horrendous, and I, I don't know how they're going to be able to fix it. Yeah, well, the pass defense is top half of the, of the country right now. I think mm-hmm. 49th in success rate. Um, they... They give up, you know, a couple big plays here and there, but you know, for the most part, if if an opponent is passing, it's it's a short pass. Um, their net yards per attempt is thirty sixth in the country, only five point eight yards per attempt. That's very very good. Um, you know, opponents are completing passes at a fifty five percent rate. That's thirtieth in the country. Like, it's a solid passing defensive group. The problem is that a they don't opponents don't pass a lot, and b when they do, it is after we've brought, you know, Sean Robinson as a seventh guy in the box or brought an eighth in the box. And, you know, the, the corners get burned because they've been seeing 50 runs all game. And now all of a sudden they're passing like, ah, crap, I forgot they can do that. So it's it's a it's a good group, uh, but they're, you're not going to just you're just not going to see a lot of it unless it's off of play action or kind of later in the game. Because, again, all you can do jokes aside, yes, but seriously, if a team just sat up and ran it 75 t- times a game, they would be fine. They yeah. would be 100% fine. So that's not great. Uh, as far as as Bazelak goes, maybe you were, maybe we were harsh, but I still think, like, it, A, it was warranted. He made two really dumb decisions. And B, I would still like to see Tyler Macon. I, even, even with, you know, a little bit of a, relaxed nerves and, and, and chilled out emotions from that game. I would still like to see Tyler, more Tyler Macon. I know a lot of people have asked, well, why not Brady cook? He clearly hasn't beaten Brady cook. And I understand that Brady cook is a less mobile Connor Bazelak. So he's not bringing anything different to the table. Tyler Macon brings something different to the table, a little bit more mobility and a hell of a lot more of a T ball uh, proficiency. So that's why I want to see more Macon and even though all three of these guys are going to be around until at least 2025, you you want the higher end athleticism to take over at some point, and you want to see that on the field and see what he can do. I know you can see that in practice. I know coaches can see that in practice. We're asking because we haven't seen it. But at the same time, you want him to get reps, live reps, to see what that's like. And as we figured out, 
there are guys on this team who are not good practice players. What J.J. Hester did against SEMO got him reps against BC. What Tyler Macon did against SEMO, maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not, but put him in a game action and let's see what he can do. Maybe he mm-hmm. is better in that situation than in practice. And if that's the case, give him a shot and then assess off of that. Yeah, I'm actually with you on everything you just said. Like, I, I both believe that I was a little too harsh on his performance in that game. And also, I think that I would still like to see Tyler Macon get opportunities because it's less about this year and more about next year. Mm-hmm. And Missouri's going to have a quarterback competition in this offseason, as they should, because Tyler Macon's a super talented player at the position. He's a legit four-star talent. He brings things to the table that Bazelak just doesn't. And Bazelak did has done a better job, I think, this year of running when needed. But he's a scrambler. He's not a runner. The RPOs that they're running right now, for example, like you're running those because you want to see what the read is going to be for the running back. You're almost never running those with the intention of running Connor Basilek. Uh, the zone reads are getting handed off 90% of the time. That's just mm-hmm. not something you're going to see Basilek do a whole lot of. That's an element of the offense that suddenly becomes at least possible with Tyler Macon out there. So I think it's worthy of getting some opportunities for him. I don't think that it's going to change a whole lot right now because no. I think the offense is what it is for this year. I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to change. And that's okay because what the offense is is pretty darn good right mm-hmm. now. It's It's been solid. That is not their issue. In their game so far this season, they've scored 34, 28, 59, and 34 points. That should be good enough to be able to be, you know, three and one on the season. Mm-hmm. The problem is they don't have a defense to match it. And if you don't have a solid defense right now, your margin for error is zero. And that was my biggest issue with Basil X performance against Boston College. If you're going to be this check down artist and you're going to play it underneath and all of those sorts of things, that's fine. You can win that way. Alabama for a decade before they decided <laughs> to, you know, have real players at the position mm-hmm. won with just check down artists. But if you're going to play that way, it means you cannot, you cannot turn the football over. You cannot make those costly mistakes. And he made two of them against Boston College. And that's, I, I know the defense, I get it. That's why they lost. But we know that that's part of what they have to play with. We knew that going into the game. So the formula that they have to use, the thing that ended up losing that for them was the two turnovers by Connor Bazelak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the deep ball threat, deep ball weapon is not going to be effective this year. They're going to do it a couple of times just to try and keep defenses defenses honest. But we we cannot rely on that being the way we score. We move the ball, um, and really this this receiving core. I, I my my big takeaway from the game is actually I was very impressed with our receivers this game. I thought you know we talked about Kiki Chesum having a good game, but I thought everybody did really well. Um, I know Ch- Chance Looper had a drop. And mm-hmm. I believe it was a really good throw too. That was maybe the best throw I've seen from Connor Bay's luck. It was really nice. It was very pretty. And it's a shame that, you know, prettiness doesn't count as a catch, but you know, whatever. Uh, I also had Dominic Lovett as a drop, but he was also getting tackled at the same time. That yeah. was not counting for pass interference, but overall, if you take away the spike um, that Connor Bay's like did on the first down on the last drive, Passes in the air, 73% completion rate. And from a success rate, like, are you getting the yards needed? It was a 50% success rate through the air. That is very good. 
And none of these guys are going to wow you with their speed or their giant, you know, massive catches and like jumping it over the air and hurling dudes and pinning it to your helmet, all that stuff. Like they just get it done. Uh, Chisholm was great. Bannister had probably the best game of, of his season so far. Seven targets, five catches, 44 yards in the touchdown. Tyler Beatty, we've already talked about, but like, you know, Chance Looper, three of five. Tasky Dove, three of four, 89 yards, including that big one. Uh, it was like a 50 yarder or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, JJ Hester got a couple of targets too. My point is, is that this is, what did I call it? An egalitarian passing attack. Like there's not mm-hmm. going to be one guy who just stands out and carries the, the entire team. Kiki Chisholm gets the most targets, but everybody can do a little bit of something. And when you are in a dink and dunk offense where you need someone to get open and just get you some yards, three, four, five yards per play. These are the guys who are equipped to do it. It'd be great if one of them busted a big run here and there, like uh Toski dove uh, did on Saturday. But really, if you just, you know, 10, 14 plays, drag your feet, take the time off the clock like this, this is a good receiving core to, to execute on that kind of game plan. Yeah. They've got dudes now. And they're not superstars, but they're capable. And one thing that Missouri really from like 2015 to 2018, maybe I would say, maybe you could include even into 2019. They had a lot of guys that were tantalizing as prospects. And what I mean by that is you you could see all the talent. They flashed it. But there would be so many opportunities where they just drop the football. Mm-hmm. It'd be thrown right to them. And whether it be on a slant or a go or whatever it was, they had it right there. Everything was right. The play call was right. The coverage that they did it against, it was right. The throw was right. It was true. It was right in the numbers. And then the guy would just drop it. And when you have something like that, you just can't trust your receiver to make a play. And sometimes that does get into the quarterback's mind of, man, I'm doing everything right here. And this guy's just not catching it. And so they stop trusting that player. They don't go to him when they're supposed to. And then it throws off your entire offense. What we're seeing right now from Missouri's offense and specifically from the pass catchers, as you've mentioned, they're just making the plays that they're supposed to make. They're not really going above and beyond. I wouldn't say they're making superstar plays like the one to Chance Looper, for example, the drop that he had. That would have been a pretty nice play by him because it was mm-hmm. going across towards the sideline. He had to drag himself a little bit to make sure he's not going out of bounds before he catches the football. Like it would have been a really nice play by him. He wasn't quite able to make that one, but the easy ones, the ones that are just tossed out to him, for example, on screen passes, he's catching those every time. And I know that's a super low bar to clear, but welcome to where we were for five years <laughs> as Missouri fans. Yeah. These are some low bars to clear that Missouri wasn't clearing previously. So it's all about the expectations and being able to meet them. And so far, I I would say that Missouri's receivers have actually exceeded my expectations. Not by a lot. They're not superstars, but they're better than I was anticipating coming into the year. They've they've added more depth, and that's important. They have. And the fact that the routes aren't super complicated and they're usually running the same thing, it just kind of shows how effective this offense can be. You know, Kiki Chisholm usually runs a shallow route. Tyler Beatty, Toski Dove are usually running hooks. Um, Chance Looper and Barrett Bannister are running outs. That's when, you know, you're on five yards and either turn right or left towards the sideline. Um, you know, but it's it's a lot of hook routes. That's basically all it is. And that that's the hook route is kind of like a stopping. You run down the field, turn around, stop, catch the ball, and then run, basically. And that's not super complicated. And that's not all they're running. But when 
when Bazelak is looking for these guys, that's kind of like the go-to route for any of them. And it's, it's working. It's working and it's maybe it's overly simplistic, but Eli Drinkwitz can work these things in. He, a lot of that, that eye candy is to kind of keep people honest and see what they're going to do. So you have a better idea of where he can throw the ball. Like this offense works. It's not very pretty. It's not a lot of fun. It's not big explosive plays or a lot of athletic plays, but it is, it is Novocaine, right? <laughs> Give it some time. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to get you where you need to go. So I don't think this is the final form of the offense. Again, they mostly ran Dooley stuff in 20 using Drinkwitz verbiage. This is more of what Drinkwitz wants to do. And I still don't think he has got the full book right now. Not with, not, not, it just doesn't seem that way. I could be totally wrong, but I think you're going to see more and more of what he can do um, as he gets more and more comfortable with, with the personnel. And right now it's a little simplistic, but it works. So I, I'm not, any loss sucks, especially close losses. But this is, I, I'm, I'm still okay with this team. They haven't let me down yet. I still think six wins are on the table. Maybe it's seven, maybe it's five. I don't know. But like, I know that some of that stuff can lead to disappointment, but I think this team is fine. Kind of like what we said on Saturday or, or Sunday or whenever that was. And that should probably get us to a bowl game. It could get us to a bowl game. Maybe it doesn't, but like everything here is just proof of concept and building on what he did last year. And so I'm, I'm good with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think basically what we're doing here is taking a step back, taking a deep breath. Do it with me, Missouri fans. If you're if you're in your car, you're at your desk, take a moment here. It's going to be OK. Yeah. It is. It, it feels bad right now. And I get that. And I'm not here to tell you that, like, you shouldn't feel bad about the way that Missouri season gone, has gone because you had two swing games and both of them went against you. And that stinks. And I, I hate that. But. You lost both by a score, and this is the way that you play. This is the margin that you have created for yourself thus far. You're you're playing on that razor's edge, and they were playing on it last year, and you've mentioned this a million different times, Nate, and it's true. They were lucky last year to have the record that they were. That was a 5-5 five and five team that probably was closer to 3-7 and seven in terms of its, its true talent level. And oh, by the way, you lost Nick Bolton. You lost two pro legit pros at at the safety and corner ish position um and now you're without those guys in a run defense that could really use them mm. if this team had by the way those three in particular i do think you would have won both of those games like if you just added prime nick bolton healthy against kentucky and boston college i think you're four and oh right now J yeah. just making that one change you, you certainly still have liabilities out there still defensively, and you're not a perfect team, but I think that is the margin for error that they have right now. It is it is that close in terms of where they've been against Kentucky and Boston College. Yeah. And they're just not there yet, especially in the linebacking core. So that's okay. Like you said, we're all take a big old woo-saw and just it's going to be okay. Speaking of things that are okay, you want to talk Luther Burden? I think it's that time of week. We finally talk about Luther Burden. Our weekly burden update. <laughs> He's still really good. That has not changed. Um, I'm just going to pull up his stats and I forgot to do it. Um, but he had another good week because that's all he ever does. Um, let's see. I saw he scored a touchdown. That's really all that matters. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're really looking for anyway. Uh, what was last? Was that O'Fallon last week? 
Uh, yeah, and it looks like he was selected as the overall and special teams player of the game against O'Fallon. So oh, there you go. Uh, nine receptions. <laughs> I'd say he was pretty good. A hundred and fifty-nine yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, that's uh, that'll that's play. Good. Forty what? Forty-eight to two, O'Fallon, <laughs> buddy. Woo. I mean, East St. Louis is really good, man. Really, really good. good. Yeah. So our boy Burden. Did did himself a solid 159 yards. Um, there's a Jesse Watson kid with three catches for 102 yards. Go you. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, you know, this is nothing really like breaking. By the right way, now. he had two punts for 107 yards total. Oh, my God. Like Luther Burden, the guy that's the five star receiver. He averaged 53 yards per punt on on Friday. Just to throw that one in there. What would you do if he actually punted for Missouri too? I would say that Eli Drinkwitz is leaning a little too heavily on Luther Burden. Can we just put him out there for the, uh, the offense? Just learn the offense, Luther. Just learn how to catch the football and run forward. And don't, don't worry about the punting. You're good. He'd be do that most, in high school. Uh, that's fine. But he's, uh, he's going to be transitioning to the receiver position in college, I would imagine. He'd be the most jacked punter from Missouri since Corey Fatoni. Yeah. yeah. Well, Keep going strong, Luther. You're doing great, man. Love for you to join the Tigers. Enjoy your Georgia trip, and then please commit to us. Um, okay, so there's your weekly Luther burning update. Hope you enjoyed it. That's always nice. By the way, we, we did get a little we – we got a couple more updates on him. Um, we, we knew I, – I believe that the date is now the 19th, October 19th, if I'm oh, not yeah. mistaken. Random is when like he's going change. to be committed. Yeah. yeah, change by a day, naturally. Of course it did. Um he will be taking a visit to Georgia the weekend prior. So the yep. weekend of the 16th, he's going to be visiting Georgia. That had been reported. It was expected. Now it is official. It's going to be mm -hmm. an official visit for him down to the University of Georgia on the 16th. And he's going to be visiting Mizzou. As of now, every expectation is that's going to be an unofficial visit for the game against North Texas. That is the same weekend that Sam Horn is expected to be in Columbia for his official visit. So it makes a lot of sense to have both of them on campus at the same time. I wonder if they'll be able to get that into an official visit for Luther. I, I don't know why he wouldn't want that. I mean, it makes it free for him. He's able to spend the whole weekend out of there. Um, but he, he's been to Columbia. He knows what it's all about. Maybe he just doesn't need that, and he's already made up his mind. That'd be cool. I'm good with that. But <laughs> as of now, the expectation is the weekend of the 9th, he will be in Columbia. The weekend of the 16th, he will be down at Georgia. And then the 19th, he's going to be officially committing um, – to where he's going to go to college. And then he is expected to be in college by January. He's mm -hmm. supposed to be a uh, mid-year enrollee and early enrollee. So fingers crossed he'll be in Columbia. Yeah. Sam Horn, if you guys don't remember, is the uh, four-star quarterback from Georgia, who also is currently verbally committed to Mizzou. And so it makes a ton of sense to get your potential future receiver and your future potential quarterback on the same trip, have them talk, have them, you know, be best friends and want to play together. All that good stuff. So doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. Uh, Georgia will get the last impression for whatever that's worth. Uh, but it does make sense to bring Burden and Horn uh, to a game that you <clears throat> are supposed to win and comfortably. <laughs> so that's that's a smart move. Also, it's two weeks before he commits. So even smarter. Uh, we'll you will see. And we will keep giving you updates on how awesome he is because that's just that's just fun. It's fun to see guys who are good at stuff be really good at stuff.
I did want to talk about your Connor Bazelak piece that came out today. Uh, talking about the forward pass, talking about his decision-making uh, in the forward pass. I thought you had some interesting points, some really interesting comparisons. Uh, so what, when you, I guess when you were writing this, what were, what were some nuggets that you dug up from your research here? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and go into kind of the background for what I was expecting to write and then what I ended up writing. So my expectation was that I was going to write about Connor Bazelek's limitation in the deep passing game. Like, full disclosure, that's, that's what I thought I was going to be writing about this week. And then I actually looked into some of the numbers, and Connor Bazelek's actually attempted a decent number of deep passes. Now, some of this is just raw numbers. He's passing a lot, which means that because he's passing a lot, he's going to have more opportunities to pass deep. But last year, even when he passed more, he still wasn't going deep. He just wasn't taking any shots. This year, if you're looking in terms of like the raw number of deep passes, so 20 plus yards, he's number one in the SEC, which <laughs> surprised the hell out of me. I mm -hmm. was not anticipating that. So raw number because he's throwing more than everybody else or not. The deep passing game is not why Basilak is, if you want to call it struggling, struggling right now. His problem was he made two really bad passes. And it really was that simple because the rest of the game, I went back and watched basically every throw that Connor Bazelak attempted against Boston College. I watched most of his throws that he threw against Kentucky again. He's been pretty darn good this year, man. He's been super efficient. And are there bad plays every now and again? Sure. I think he's done much better this year at navigating the pocket. He's avoiding pressure in a way that he didn't at times last year. Um, I, I think overall, he's just a better quarterback than what he was a year ago. But there's still a little something left to be desired. And I don't know if that's the offense. I don't know if that's the receivers. I don't know if that's him. I think a lot of it is him because I just don't think he has that cannon of an arm that you see from certain guys at the collegiate level. And that's fine. You can win with a guy like this, as I mentioned earlier. The comp that immediately came to mind as I was starting to look into some of the numbers for Basilek was A.J. McCarron. A.J. McCarron was a very effective and efficient quarterback at Alabama. And yes, I know, before you scream at your podcast, I understand the talent level at Alabama is a lot different than the talent level at Missouri right now. I get that completely. But the way they play the position between Basilek and A.J. McCarron is very similar. They're caretakers. They're caretakers for their offensive coordinator. They're an extension of the offensive coordinator on the field. Again, you can win that way. Alabama did it. Missouri can do it. But when you have this defense and that kind of a quarterback, you're very limited. And your margin for error is essentially zero. And when you throw two interceptions against a quality opponent on the road, like Basilek did last week against Boston College, you get what you deserve. And mm -hmm. what they deserved in that game was to lose. So this weekend, to push it forward just a little bit, what does Connor Basilek need to do differently? He just needs to eliminate the turnover-worthy throws. If he does that, Missouri's going to have every opportunity to win that game. And I know that's simplistic analysis, but it's true because Missouri's offense has been pretty darn good this year with him at the helm, but he has to eliminate those mistakes. If he does that, they're going to have a chance to win consistently. Yeah. You know, for his career, he's thrown nine interceptions. Nine. Five of those have come in two games. Three against Mississippi State, last game of the year. And then two last week. And in both situations, you know, especially Mississippi State, he was very much in the, okay, I got to make something happen. I've, I've got to do something because we don't have a defense anymore. 
and Mississippi State is just running all over our asses. That's why he did it. This game, the one against Bannister was well, both were unwarranted, but you know, if you if you feel like you need to press, and I suppose he did in that instance, that's that's when he made those poor decisions. So for the most part, he doesn't make that decision. In two games, he did it multiple times. Outside of those two games, he rarely does it. So he's very safe with, with throwing the ball, which I think is why we're just so frustrated with, with what happened on Saturday. And in that same vein, I mean, you know, from a sack standpoint, you know, we don't really talk about the offensive line's uh, pass protection all that much, but Connor is very good at avoiding sacks. He had a 3.6% sack rate last year, 11 sacks on 324 dropbacks. And this year, he's only had three in 154. That's 1.9% sack rate. That's very, very good. And he's, he's, he's smart about making sure he doesn't make the dumb mistake. Does he still make it? Yes. Uh, does he do anything to counteract that? No, not really. But you're asking him to just be, like you said, the game manager, the A.J. McCarron. And again, maybe we are, you know, diet Alabama, poor man's Alabama, RC Cola Alabama offense. Okay, cool. It'd be nice if we had Alabama's defense also, uh, by the way, but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. But for right now, what he is, is, is going to be, it's going to be manageable. It's something we can deal with. And I think it's going to be fine. Whether Tyler Macon or Sam Horn or hell, even Brady Cook, whether they can take it beyond fine, I don't know. But right now, Connor Bazelak is going to give you the best chance to win games because he's going to make the fewer mistakes or the fewest mistakes. We don't know what the other guys are going to do. Coaching staff seems to know what they're going to do based off of practice. So we're going to trust them for this year. And then, yeah, I would really like to see what can happen uh, in summer practice next year to really make this offense go. But that's also another influx of talent in the receiving room, offensive line, running backs. So it, next year is going to be a completely different beast. For right now, Connor Bazelak, and yeah, secretly good Connor Bazelak. I'm here for it. Keep him there. Yeah, I mean he's he's top 25 nationally right now in completion percentage, passing yards, and passing passing touchdowns. If you told me before the season that Connor Bazelak, our Connor Bazelak, would be in the top 25 nationally through the first what four weeks of the season mm-hmm. in completion percentage, passing yards, and passing touchdowns. I would have been beside myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I need the fainting couch. How did this happen? This is beautiful. Um, and, and it it doesn't really feel that way. I gotta be honest, sometimes watching the games where it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is fine. Um, but it it's been effective. And Missouri's offense, according to the SP plus rankings that we uh cite so often because we love our our dear friend Bill Connolly, they're 26th right now offensively. Mm-hmm. You basically have a top 25 offense right now, nationally, in terms of the efficiency. That's pretty good, man. That's mm-hmm. to do that with the talent that they currently have offensively. And I I like Tyler Beatty. He's a very good running back. But if your only real options that you trust compared to other pretty darn good offenses are Tyler Beatty and Kiki Chisholm and your quarterback is Connor Bazelak, who's good but limited. That's a hell of a statement about what Eli Drinkwitz can potentially do when he does get the talent that they're looking at right now, acquiring via whether it be transfer portals or um, in recruiting in general. It's it's a great statement for the coaching that is being done right now. And I would also say you have seen a very clear step forward from Connor Bazelak. That is a sign of good coaching as well. And credit to the player. The player has done everything that he needed to do to improve, but 
Um, Basilek's been better. He's been a solid. He is not the reason outside of those two interceptions that Missouri is struggling right now. Um, but I would like to see him eliminate those those interceptions from his game. And if he does, man, I think Missouri's going to have a really good shot to be able to beat Tennessee this weekend. Yeah. For reference, last year's offense ranked 88th overall. So that's quite a big jump to 26th. Season's not done. Obviously, a lot of this can be undone very quickly, but. And the opponents are going to get tougher. So you'll see that come back a little bit. They're not going to be a top 25 offense, but they might finish top 50. Georgia, Arkansas, Florida. I mean, SP plus is, does look at uh, quality of opponents. So it factors for that. At the same time, <laughs> you're not going to go, you know, throw 20 passes with no completions against Georgia. And they go, oh yeah, that's fine. Like, no, there, there, there is some accountability that's held to that. But yeah, I mean, so far it's, it's, it's done its job. And it needs to do his job. Do you, is there any part of you that wants to see him actually keep it on some of those a little bit more or actually show his wheels a little bit more frequently than he has so Absolutely. far? Absolutely. Yeah, because he's, he's <laughs> typical uh, sports radio hacky thing to say. He's sneaky athletic. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually is reasonably fast when he is getting out into the open field. Like you see some moments where he really gets out in the open and turns it on. It's like, Whoa, I Connor, I see you out there. But then there are other moments where he's just scrambling and he's trying to pick up just a couple of yards here or there. And then he slides immediately. And it's like, come on, man, really? That's what we're going to do here. And I get it. It's the right decision, but it can be frustrating sometimes. But yeah, on some of those read options, I would like to see him pull it a little more often. They don't run them a ton because I think they know he's probably not going to keep them. But mm-hmm. when they do that, it would be something that would help. I think that would make their offense a little bit more efficient. But it's that's a small thing. That's something that if you did use Tyler Macon, that would become a much bigger portion of the offense. Uh, but for the here and now, it's it's just a small minor thing that I, I do grow a little frustrated with sometimes. Once Drew Locke got the confidence to start keeping on a couple of those was that you know 17 i think Mm -hmm. like you're like oh hey (laughs) this works really well that's awesome uh it it just adds another dimension i mean neither Locke nor basilac are going to be you know not lamar jackson out there okay that's that's not going to happen but at least having somebody respect the fact that he can that he can run it or scramble for some yards just takes one fewer guy out of coverage you know, especially if he's spying you, you can draw him to the left or draw him away from where you want to throw it, that sort of thing. So it's, I do think it's needed. I'm kind of confused why he doesn't take it a couple times. Maybe he's told not to just because they're concerned about quarterback depth. I don't know. We can guess all day, but he has shown a propensity to run, uh, especially in the fourth quarter against Boston college, man, that's when all of his rushes came. Yeah. And what happened? They started moving the ball. So I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out what's going to happen. He does need to get a better slide, by the way. It's almost like he just kind of falls on his butt and just scoots forward. Uh, I wonder if that's related to his knee. I, I do think some of this is just he's he's still a little hesitant. I know it's been a while now, but almost two years. Yeah. It hasn't been that long. You know, it's yeah. it's been close to two years, but sometimes they say that's about what it takes for you to gain that confidence back into your knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think some of this might be related to that. Yeah, I mean, he still wears the brace, mm-hmm. so you could be right. But so there you go, Connor Bay's like better than you think. Good thing he's on our team, and good thing he's uh, healthy and and still still slaying it because he's got a lot. He's gonna have a lot of practice throwing against good defenses for the rest of the season. 
Um, I wanted to talk about something that I came up with uh, Coach Drinkwitz's press conferences this week. He he said yesterday. Um, I guess I could I could pull it up and tell you exactly what he said, but I'm not going to go into. Basically, what he said is he felt like he had done Mookie Cooper a disservice by pushing him out on the field to play. And it got me thinking, like, okay, so you feel like you you used Mookie Cooper too fast and too much when he wasn't ready. You go back to last year, and he always said, yeah, 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 I'm using, you know, we use Larry way too much. I need to get make sure I get Tyler out there. And he didn't. And so far this year, he's like, yeah, you know, we, we're using Tyler Beatty a lot, and we need to get the other guys some reps too. And four games in, he hasn't. BK, I'm, I, I don't want to create a controversy where there is none. It just got me thinking, what is Eli Drinkwitz's philosophy as far as managing player usage? When he was at NC State and Boise State, he, was, he very much ran a bell cow offense. He found one or two guys he liked, and they were always on the field. And that was true for, for Larry Roundtree. It's true for Tyler Beatty right now. Like, the goal of, of his job is to win games. I understand that you need to put the best guys out there to win games. But if you're not developing anybody else or there is no one else, like you also have to manage that and you don't want to make sure you don't hurt them or you keep them fresh. Should I be concerned that he's running these guys into the ground or pushing them out too fast? Or is this just a situation where he looks at the roster and goes, no, these are the guys who are going to help us win. So that's who I'm going to play. Yeah. I kind of lean towards the latter. I tend to think as a coach, go with your best guys. And I know that can lead to some decision making that makes you a little uneasy because these are college kids. But I also think it's a it's almost two different conversations because the conversation about Tyler Beatty is a conversation about managing his reps as a running back who only has so much tread on the tire. And do you wear him out in college? And I this might sound harsh, but. Man, he is so clearly your best player, much less your best running back. I want him out there as a fan every snap. And when he's not out there, like there were moments on Saturday where I was like, why is Dawson Downing in the game right now in an (laughs) obvious passing situation when they could have uh, Tyler Beatty out there? Dawson Downing played three snaps, and I had that thought. Mm -hmm. So imagine if instead of playing three, he was out there for 15. I would be out here pulling my hair out, man. Why? (laughs) Why are we seeing so much Dawson Downing? That is not a statement against Downing so much as a your best player is on the sideline right now when you need him in Tyler Beatty. So I'm in favor of that. If Tyler Beatty shows signs of wearing down, okay. You, you peel it back, you, you pull it back a little bit. You get a few more opportunities out there for Elijah Young. In, in short yardage situations, you make sure Michael Cox is on the field. If you're in a obvious passing down where the running back's sole responsibility is to pass block, maybe you do put Dawson Downing out there in those spots. But until that happens, so far it looks like Tyler Beatty has proven he's able to hold up over the course of these longer games where he's getting a more extended workload. And if he continues to, I would continue giving him a whole lot of opportunities. Now, that's very different than the conversation about Mookie Cooper. Mookie Cooper, I think, is a doctor call. If your doctor tells you and the kid tells you, A, the doctor says he can play and he's unlikely to alter 
his injury in any significant way. The, the injury is what it is. It's probably not getting worse. Might not get better. It's probably going to take an offseason to heal. And the kid says, I want to play. I think I can play. I think I can go out there and give you a few plays a game, but I might not have more than five or ten spots for you or snaps for you. Then that becomes a decision for Eli Drinkwitz to trust them. And I think he did. And if I had to play armchair psychologist here, I think he looked at Mookie Cooper as being one of his most athletic players. And he thought I can design five to 10 snaps a game where Mookie Cooper can make an impact while he's on the field. And even if it is just five to 10 snaps, he's going to help us this season. I haven't seen it. He might help them next year. But as of right now, I think you are better off going with guys like J.J. Hester and Dominic Lovett and Chance Looper and um, even Boo Smith as a deep threat than you are going with Mookie Cooper. So I think that is the one spot where I would say, yeah, I agree with Eli Drinkwitz's analysis. I think they should pull back on what they're doing with Mookie right now and just try to get him healthy, whether that's for late this season or early next year. But I, I will say on the Tyler Beatty conversation, I'm fine with them kind of riding their guys until they prove that they can't handle it. And then in which case, then you pull back. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it just, when we heard that Mookie Cooper was injured in fall camp and that he was going to be back in 10 days and it was foot, you know, foot ankle related. I think I think I even said it on the show. It's dubious. <laughs> I don't I don't believe you, but like that's awesome that he can come back so fast. And you even pointed out like those are those are the types of injuries that that really linger. Mm-hmm. And then we saw him against Simo, and he wasn't even really. Now Simo a good, or sorry, uh, Central Michigan. Central Michigan is a very good team. Like let's not take away from that. But he wasn't. He wasn't juking anybody. He wasn't getting past anybody. And mentally fair or not that's when i was like let's not even even if we aren't playing for things like let's i'm cool with him rehabbing for the year so then when i hear that he feels like he you know he was doing him a disservice and trying i'm like yes i know that the doctor says you know technically he's going to be fine i know the kid wants to play but man there's it's very dangerous it's very dangerous and this again coming from me who am i nobody but i just i didn't like it it stunk and and so to hear that this you know this week and you know whatever comes of that i don't know but it's like what did we really need to draw up five plays to get him out there yes you don't want him to transfer again yes you want to see what he can do but god it, it took three plays against uh, central Michigan to go, <laughs> this is not the guy we brought in <laughs> not yet he needs he needs to heal up so i don't know I I'm good. If we shelve Mookie Cooper just flat out that that is my stance. I wish he would be a hundred percent, but if he's not, I wish that he wouldn't play and risk further injury or further complications. Just the end end of story. I'm with you. Yeah, I get that entirely. The one thing, by the way, on the running back conversation that I would point to is, like, look at Alabama, right? They're, they're the gold standard for the way that everybody wants to play college football because they get all the athletes, they get all the best players, and they have all of the depth. Look at what they did, for example, in 2013 with TJ Yeldon as their lead running back. He carried the ball 205 times that mm-hmm. year. 205 times he touched the ball, not just in the passing game, but specifically running the football. 
if TJ Yeldon can do that, and they they do that consistently, their their guys regularly handle right around 200 touch 200 carries indefinitely 200 touches in any individual season if they can do that with tj yeldon um th- then you can do that with some of your backs that you have including yes tyler Beatty. so i i've got no issue with the way that they've handled their running backs in particular well true but that was 2013 that's jim McElway. once they went to lane kiffin once they went to steve sarkeesian once they went with bill o'brien i mean right now uh brian robinson has 37 rushes Jace McClellan has 34 and uh, Royal Williams has 21. So again, like how much of that though came in their, their blowout game that they had. Well, they're that, all that, blowout games, BK. <laughs> I know that's fair. Um, but they, they've, I, I just, first of all, the talent dif- discrepancy between their number one running back and their number two and three guys is not the same as at a place like Missouri. Sure. Um, but they, they consistently do this. I mean, you look at, um, Damian Harris, some of the numbers that he was putting up in his career, it, I, I, I think it's fine. Um, I, I think it's fine what they're doing with their running backs. Well, just for reference, last year, Larry Roundtree uh, ran the ball 209 times. Tyler Beatty ran it 48 times. So that means Larry had 81, 81% of the carries uh, in 2020. So this year... We got Taylor Beatty's got 66. Elijah Young's got 20. That's really easy math. So we take 66. I have 86. About 75%. 76.7. 70, 70, so, but, you know, you do a plus minus 5% and you're basically in the exact same situation. All this, you know, this just could just be, you know, oh, that was just these four games. And then, I don't know, Elijah Young finds it. Or Dawson Downing realizes that he's like... Awesome. I don't. I don't know. Peyton Hill is two I don't know. Like things can change because the, the season is young. But based off of what we've seen, it's a very similar workload. So if this is just how the Drinkwitz offense works, I'm fine with it. Your job is to win games. That can be interpreted in multiple ways: the immediate term and the long term. Immediate term: Tyler Beatty is awesome. He wants to get drafted. He's usually best player. Use him. In the long term. He's gone next year. And who do you have behind him? So I just, I want to make sure guys get developed. That's all I'm saying. I think game, game experience is the best way to develop guys. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I want to make sure that if this is how the offense works, that we just understand that. But if this is a problem that he's trying to fix, it doesn't seem like he's fixing it. And I want him to. That's, that's just where I'm at. Right now, I don't think he's trying to fix it at running back, and I don't think he needs to because if there's a position on the football field that's the easiest to translate year to year, it's mm-hmm. it's running back. Like you can have a freshman running back come in, and it's not surprising when he ends up being the leading rusher for any team because you can transition at mm-hmm. the running back position. It's the easiest one to do so. Meanwhile, at the receiver position, we've seen how he's trying to get new guys in at that spot, and mm-hmm. he's trying to develop them for next year. So I think he might be realizing, okay, I, I've got to do a better job of filtering those other guys through. He he especially did not do a great job of that early last year. He went to some of the same guys over and over and over and maybe played them a little too much. This year, you're seeing as guys are starting to prove, okay, we can handle more on our plate. He's filtering them in and you're starting to see, as you said, an egalitarian uh, way to utilize those targets. Running backs very different. I You know I'm an Elijah Young fan. 
the drop off that we've seen this year from Tyler Beatty to Elijah Young is pretty significant. So I've got no problem with him just sticking with Eli or with Tyler Beatty in the next year. Yeah, Elijah Young's got to prove it. And if he's not able to get it done, maybe they go with somebody else. But for the here and now, go with your best guy. I got no issues with it. And then we'll see what they can do next year. Sam Horn, play action with Tavoris Jones. Sometimes he keep it. Sometimes he doesn't. Hmm. But when he does pop back, throwing it to Luther Burden. Make it happen, world. Make like it happen. That. God. Oh. This could be such... Uh, That's the uh, other thing. Tavor Jones might be your starting running back next year. He could. That's possible. He's good enough. His pedigree is good enough anyway. So, who knows? Okay. Let's talk about defense. Why are you Why are you stopping? Why are you turning it off? No, no, don't turn it off. We're talking about defense. We want to talk about specifics about defense. Because, yes, they're bad. But, like, why are they bad? Or in... What ways are they bad? It's fun. Well, they to can't just... stop the run, Nate. They <laughs> gotta stop the run. <laughs> Look, you can yell that from section in in row sixty five to your heart's content, but like, why can't they stop the run? And in what situations are there? Any situations that they're good? Are there any more situations where they're more bad? There's just there's just better ways of talking about it. So BK and I want to. Break it down a little bit. BK's got a piece coming your way on Friday that's going to do a deep dive on this, but we're going to touch on it now because you're so smart to subscribe to this podcast. Um, BK, there are situations that are a little bit better and a little bit worse than what you'd expect. Let's uh, let's enlighten our listeners on, on what those situations are. Okay, so your run defense right now is 128th out of 130 teams nationally. Yards per carry are 129th out of 130 teams nationally. That's the bad. I'll just go ahead and start with that because you already know it. You watched it take place time and time and time again against both Kentucky and against uh, Boston College. So you know that part. Here are some other areas where this team is interesting to me right now. Third down defense. Missouri's third down defense is allowing a 55% conversion rate right now, Nate. That is 127th nationally mm-hmm. out of 130 teams. That is quite bad. Long rushing plays. They have allowed 11 of that category, which is 20 plus yards, 20 plus yard run plays. 11 of them have gone for 20 or more yards. That is 128th nationally. That's how you get a bad yards per carry. That's how you end up. 128th on your run defense makes sense one area that they're very good they limit big passing plays Mm -hmm. and their passing defense as a whole has been solid this year so the reason why i bring all of that up man they're never going to be a good uh run defense just not going to happen for this team they don't have the personnel to do it right now Oh, by the way, also uh, red zone defense right now, they've been atrocious as well. They're they're towards the bottom of the SEC. They I think it's like a 85 percent touchdown rate so far this year. It's really bad. So how do you get better? Well, you have to get slightly incrementally better against the run. And the reason why I say that is because I dug into some of the third down numbers, Nate, as to where. They are struggling. And it makes sense, logically, when I say this, as to what's going wrong. When they have a third and one to three yards, so a third and short, they have allowed 10 conversions out of 11 attempts. 
when they allow or when they have a third and four to six, so a third and medium that they're going up against, they have allowed a conversion on 11 out of 16 tries. That is a 69% success rate. When they have a third and long, they're converting at opponents are at just a 40% rate against Missouri. Now that's pretty high for a third down and long defense, but it's a hell of a lot better than 91% or 69% against you. So what do you need to do? This sounds obvious because it kind of is, but Missouri's defense has been really bad at it. You've got to force more third and longs. And Missouri has been so bad at that this year because they are not creating enough negative plays to counteract the fact that opposing offenses know, hey, on first and 10, we can run it for five yards. We've set ourselves up for second and five and then at worst third and five. And we're going to be able to convert that because Missouri's defense on third and five is like 75% success rate against them. So how do you get better? Well, you might just have to start stacking the box. You got to start trusting your your secondary a little bit because they've proven those guys are competent at worst, pretty good at best. And you've got to trust that a Caleb Evans, who is a legit top 75 draft pick conversation guy right now, and Enos Rakestraw, who you trust in man-to-man coverage, right or wrong, and your safeties that you have told us all along, you really believe in. And Carlisle has made some big time plays so far this year. Martez Manuel is a pretty darn good player on the back end as well. You got to trust them to make plays. And if you can do that and you start stuffing the box a little bit more, maybe that helps you a little bit against the run. You don't have to be good, but you've got to force more of those third and longs. And if you can do that, you can get off the field more often. You give your offense more opportunities. You don't get into the red zone as often. It has a trickle down effect that ends up potentially helping you win more games as a result. Yeah. They've, they've really, <clears throat> they've, they've swapped out Chris Abrams drain for Sean Robinson. Mm-hmm. So whether that's a, whether you want to call that a, a pure four, two, five, whether you want to call it a four, three hybrid, I don't know what you want to call it, but the point is, is that there aren't any linebackers worth a darn to put in as a third linebacker Sean Robinson has been playing pretty well. So they, they do basically show a seven man front, especially when Sean starts creeping towards the line. Like he usually does. So they, they are trying to stack the box. Steve Wilkes is no dummy. He is trying to do that. It's just. Add you, Martez manual. What, I, what I'm Martez saying is manual. seven's not enough. Right. Go eight. Yeah. You, and, and I know that that sounds absurd and you're going to get beat off over the top. I get that. But until they start, not stopping the run. They're not going to do that. I, again, I want to make this very clear. This team is not going to be good against the run. It's just not going to happen for them. Right. Um, but until they start limiting the run, making it harder to run against them, or just making it obvious that the opposing team should pass because the numbers are wrong. Mm-hmm. And some of these teams just have rules where if you get eight in the box, you throw. The quarterback is told, this is what you're going to do on this play if you get this many people in the box Mm -hmm. and at a certain point you just have to force them to do it because a lot of the time what they'll do is they'll throw a quick slant and man i trust a caleb evans on a quick slant a lot more than i trust your linebackers to make a good read and a good run fit going up against the run so if i'm if i'm this defensive staff right now and listen they know a million times more than i do and ever will about football you have to force the opposing team to throw and putting numbers in the box might be your best way to do it. Arkansas and Florida are rule-based offenses. Tennessee is too. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, North Texas does a little bit of that. North Texas is a little bit more air raid, but like they they will run when when the numbers say yes. This actually might be a good week to try that out. I was going to say against Tennessee. You can really try and see if this is going to have some traction really this week and next week um, by by trying to stack the box and see what happens. You're absolutely right. And even then, like just because you bring eight in the box doesn't mean eight stay in the box. You know, Steve Wilkes is a smart guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Connor Bays like talked about how BC was disguising his coverages towards the end of the game. And you can do the same thing, especially when you have a safety as as a, as the seventh or even the eighth guy in there. Drop him back. Right. Crap. But put, put a defensive end, drop him back. Russ Bleach plays Aldridge instead. Like you can get creative with your with where your blitzes are coming from. If you're showing something to get that rule, that that box checked for that rule and then drop it to confuse them and make them do what you want to do and, and, and then clog the passing lines. That's, that, that is something that, again, BK and I can figure this out. We have not played a snap of D1 college football, nor coached it. So, like, we're not, we're not telling anybody anything that they don't know. It's just these there are ways that you can try to... Well, there's no scheme that's going to make you better, but there are schemes that can hide what you want to do and try and fluster pre-snap reads. And because offenses are so predicated on pre-snap reads anymore, you can usually try and gamify your way into what you want them to do. Doesn't always work, but you know what? Give it a shot. (laughs) Tennessee is a good test. Maybe you get burned. I don't know. Um, But you got a lot of teams that do this. Georgia does a lot of that too with their running game. Uh, Florida and Georgia, Arkansas you're just going to get beat either way. So pick your poison. Well, just get the practice, right? Yeah. Like, you know, who cares? So it's just, there, there are things you can do. And you know, what's really interesting to me, I don't know if you saw this, but Missouri's actually, Missouri's defense is actually pretty good at first down. Like success rate wise, they're pretty good at first down. Now it falls apart completely in second and third down, but for the most part, they can win first. So if you can win first conventionally, get weird on second, and then create a third and long, okay, you've given yourself a better shot than you have in the first in the first four games. So go with it. Um, also, Missouri is really good at generating pressure, uh, and I know the sacks are mostly from Central Michigan, but like they're they're still a good pressure team. So the blitzing does work when they do get dropped back to pass, and it is it can be disruptive. But you have to create situations in which that's going to work. So I hope that they take this week and kind of further weeks to develop that. And and like Drinkwitz said this week, we're four weeks into this new scheme. We're not hitting the panic button yet. Okay. Well, turn the turn the page a little bit further. Let's get in the middle of the book and do some creative stuff. Because what the conventional stuff right now is just it's just not going to cut it. It's not going to work. And this defense isn't good enough to be able to get away with it. Uh, the the other thing that I would add to this, if they were to take our recommendations, what I read about giving up uh, their 35th right now nationally and long passing plays allowed, that's going to change. Mm-hmm. You're going to give up more mm-hmm. um, that you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You've got to give on one of these things, right? It's if you're going to play back, if you're going to keep that fourth guy out of the box. Well, then you're going to have an opportunity to be able to limit things in front of them. Your safeties are going to be able to play a little deeper instead of playing single high. Now you can play cover two. There are other things, split safeties that you can do, but there's a lot more versatility to what you're doing defensively. It also allows them to potentially be able to mask some of the things that they're doing defensively. If you're going to bring that guy back down into the box, and by the way, I think Martez Manuel is really good in Mm -hmm. the box, so that might be a better way to utilize him more consistently. Um... If you're going to do that, 
well, now teams are probably going to take more shots against you. That can be good and bad. It is a lower percentage throw, which means they are more likely to end up in longer down and distance situations. But when they convert, it goes really far and it can result in touchdowns and it's quicker scores that go against you. Is that a good or a bad thing? I don't know. They're going to score either way. So maybe it doesn't much matter, honestly. And you give the ball back to your offense at least and it's less demoralizing. But the (laughs) other thing that's good that can come out of it is you've got a really good guy at the back end and Jalen Carlisle right now who seems to have some pretty darn good ball skills. And if he's going to get some opportunities to go up and get it on the back end as a single high safety, maybe you come up with some big plays defensively because I know you're not coming up with them against the run. You're not forcing any sort of turnovers right now against the run. Like the TFLs aren't really coming in that regard. So you might as well at least try for a few big plays defensively. And the best way to do that is to force them to throw, get them to take more shots. And maybe your defensive backs come up with some big time plays. They've done it a couple of times this year. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can do it a few more. Absolutely. It's you always want a college quarterback and a college offense to have to take a lot of plays to do something. It's really easy to hit the deep bomb, you know, and like, all right, cool. We scored. Yeah. It's really frustrating, especially for quarterbacks like to wing it to have to make timing right throws or like easy throws or throw it away or make a safe choice. It's hard to do that. As we as we said, Connor Basilek is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation by doing that. It's really hard to do. So you want to give yourself that chance where they're having to throw a couple times per, per drive because it's way better to, to get an offense to do that because you have a better chance of a breaking it up, a B picking it off, or just C forcing a third down, third and long. So we'll see what happens, and I'm very excited to read what you have, what you have to say a little bit more on Friday. But uh, we are, we are in Tennessee week. You want to talk about the Volunteers? Let's do it, man. I'm, I, they're, they're an interesting team to me, and I know that you've got your. Uh, preview ready to go for this game. So I'm I'm interested to learn a little bit more because I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I haven't watched a ton of, of their games so far this year just because they've had a weird schedule and I've been locked in on some of the bigger games that have gone head to head against them. So I haven't watched a ton of Florida or excuse me, Tennessee football so far this year. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your vantage point on how you expect this one to go. So it, it, it is interesting. I watched I ended up watching most of the Tennessee Bowling Green game because it was the only game on. I think it was a Hmm. Thursday. Uh, So that was with Joe Milton, who was the Michigan Mm -hmm. quarterback transfer. I don't, this is a side. It was the weirdest thing to watch him. Remember how James Franklin would just like stand, like literally stand with his heels on the ground in the pocket and throw. That's what Joe Milton did, except he looked super uncomfortable doing it and he kept wanting to run. Anyway, point was, they Joe Milton is no longer start, starting for Tennessee. They went with Hendon Hooker. It was a Virginia Tech quarterback transfer and actually pretty dang good at Tech. Um, so they they've they've got him taking over the reins. With this juggling of quarterbacks, you got this really interesting situation because we know we know a Josh Heupel offense. We've seen that baby hum. Now we've seen him go with Drew Locke. And we've seen it go with Mackenzie Milton and Dylan Gabriel at UCF. Those offenses were predicated on the pass, right? Entire sides of the field 
don't even run a route. The other side runs a route, like just straight down the field. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. Everyone sprints off to the sideline. New guy comes in. You run it again. You're running like two or three plays per minute. It's crazy. You don't really talk about the running game in a Josh Heupel offense because it's more of a compliment. It's if those rule boxes are checked, then you then you go with the run. Well, in part because the quarterbacks have been changing, and in part because the receivers are good, not great. Tennessee runs the hell out of the ball. Uh oh. Also, they have almost an entire blue chip offensive line. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> so they are still fast as hell. They are they are the fastest team in the country. But they like to run it a lot. So that sucks a lot. The good news, as it were, is that even though, once again, Tennessee fields a bunch of blue chips on their defense. They're not that great. Defense is very good at shutting down the run. I think they're 39th. Yeah. 39th in success rate on stopping the run, but they are very susceptible to the pass listener. What has Missouri been doing a lot of past couple weeks passing the ball mm-hmm. 40 plus times, not deep, which is good because Tennessee does not let any big plays go by at all. They play everything very, very safe. What does that mean? It goes back to your principle where you got to give something up. What that means is that they give a lot of completion rate. I think uh, opposing quarterbacks are completing 64% of their passes against Tennessee. That's 103rd in the country. Okay. Opposing offenses have a 40% success rate through the year. They can basically just any short route, pitch route, hook route out. They'll let you have it. And wouldn't you know it? That's what Missouri likes to do. So this is going to be a really interesting game because a very hypo way the offense wants to go 14 15 possessions per game just just run as fast as possible running it this time instead of passing it although they do throw every once in a while run the ball as fast as you possibly can spin out that defense and then just get in a track meet missouri well you know what we like to do we like to keep it to 10 possessions 10 or 11 throw it take 14 plays to get there either get a touchdown or have thicker knock it in from the moon. So this is very much a styles makes fights kind of game, a very fast running offense versus a very slow passing offense, which tends to not line up that way, but here we are. Um, And so to me, because both defenses struggle at stopping the thing that the opposing offenses do, I think the telling thing here is going to be how many possessions are there. If we end up at 14-15, that probably means Tennessee is very comfortable. They're doing what they want. And they'll probably win the game. But if at the end of the game we're looking at this and we're in 9-10 possession territory, it's probably low scoring enough. Missouri probably kept their defense on the sideline long enough to get a stop somewhere. And they probably won the game. So that's my, you know, from my from my couch analysis. I don't know if that's going to hold true or not, but you, you tend to see that in these kind of games. Uh, so... How the style of this game goes is going to be really telling as to as to who's succeeding. Styles make fights, and this is a really intriguing one. Uh, this is almost, in some ways, the opposite of how I felt about last week's game against Boston College. Boston College is a super well-coached, uh, great offensive line that wants to punch you in the mouth offensively, plays solid defense, plays complimentary football. In a lot of ways, like... 
they are kind of a similar team to what Missouri is building right now. Now they mm-hmm. go about it a little differently. They they're more smash mouth a little bit in their approach than Missouri is. Missouri is more that the quick passing game and Boston College is going to do it a little bit more with their running game, but they were similar in their approaches. Tennessee's the opposite. <laughs> and so I, I think that's what makes this one super intriguing is where last week I did worry a little bit that Missouri was just the worst version right now of Boston College. Tennessee, I have no feel for. I don't know if they're any good right now. And I certainly don't know how their style will go up against a team like Missouri. And I I think there is some question as to how this game is going to play out, man. So I'm I'm fascinated by this matchup in particular. I I think you could see a different type of um, game plan out of Steve Wilkes this week. I think he has seen now twice against quality competition that his previous game plan just wasn't working. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, Vegas views Missouri as a favorite in this one. That they're basically blows me away. <laughs> they're basically the home typical three point home favorite. It's two and a half right now in favor of Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the bets are coming in on Mizzou. That's where the juice is, which means that you have to spend a little extra to be able to get Mizzou minus the two and a half points. So it's Vegas is looking at it that way. Some of the projections see it that way. I have no read for this game though, whatsoever. I'm going to be totally honest with you, man. Well, in in true Missouri 2021 fashion, it's going to be close because no matter how bad you think Missouri is, they will, they will always keep it close. That's part of the, the bonus, if you will, good or bad. Um, of running this style of offense. If you are very slow, ball control, you keep games close, especially when you consistently maintain possession for you know, 10, 11, 12, 14 plays. You just tend to make it close. Tennessee could very much get frustrated by constantly being on the sideline, their offense. The defense might get gassed, which might open up some opportunity for big plays. I don't know. But Tennessee wants to spin out those defenses and get, get off the field in three plays. So we'll I don't know if they're going to be successful at that. I think it's going to be, I, I, I don't know. Missouri and Tennessee have almost had exactly the same season. Because yeah. they, they both let their, their Mac opponent hang around a little longer than they should have. But they both won. They both lost to an ACC team. Both of them lost 34 to 41 to an ACC team. I might add, um, I think Missouri lost to the better ACC team for what they absolutely worth. did. They absolutely did, but they still lost Tennessee tech, uh, their FCS team. They lost 56, nothing, but Tennessee tech is garbage. Uh, and then they got both Missouri and Tennessee got their butts beat by a divisional opponent. So it's almost the exact same season for both. Um, Again, it's all about whose style wins out and will probably win the game. But I still, part of me thinks that this is going to be low scoring. I'm thinking like. Really? Yeah. I think it's going to be really sloppy because both offenses are going to be like trying to trying to maintain control. And I think the defense is going to kind of wake up this week and maybe punch above their weight a little bit hmm. better than they're used to. I'm going to say. What am I going to say? 28-27. Okay. I'll say I'll say Tennessee sneaks it out, but 28-27. I'm going 34-30. Missouri mm-hmm. ends up winning in what is a slightly higher scoring game than what you're anticipating. Mm-hmm. I 
the if this was at Tennessee, I would take Tennessee. Sure. It's at Missouri, so I'm taking Missouri. I know that's simplistic analysis, but that's what I've got for you because as I have mentioned, these teams are so dissimilar in their styles, but so similar in terms of what they are if you were power ranking all of college football this year, they might be legitimately like back to back <laughs> in terms of how you feel about them in their the quality of the team so far this year. Tennessee's more talented. I think I would take Eli Drinkwitz in terms of his coaching uh, ahead of him. So I'll take Missouri because they're at home 34 30 to beat Tennessee, cover the spread and going over the total if you're a betting type. Bam. I like it. Like it way better than how I feel about it. <laughs> I love for that to come true. So we'll find out. Uh, Eleven o'clock on Saturday. It's not on SEC Network Plus. Once again, I don't think we're going to be on on that channel again for this year. But you never know. You never know. Um, but yeah, we are. We will come to you after the game's over on Saturday, Sunday. We'll give you kind of our our hot takes on on what happened, and hopefully, we're talking about a Missouri victory. Get Eli Drinkwitz back on the right side of the ledger here. Get, win another close game. Win a conference game. Uh, and, you know, hey, for what it's worth, you know, Eli Drinkwitz not great on the road. He is pretty good at home. So he's got that going for him. And, uh, you know, I'll still trust him with the with the close games, even if he has lost the past two, because, you know, it's what he does. It's what he does really well. So we will find out. Uh, BK, any parting shots before we get the heck out of here? No, man, just I, I'm super excited about this game on Saturday and I can't wait to break it down with you. We'll be back this weekend. Uh, we'll have another podcast for you guys breaking down whatever it is that we see on Saturday against Tennessee this is a big one. Another swing game for Missouri. They've lost their first two. I think they're going to get this one. Nate does not. Surprise, surprise. You could have seen that one coming, uh, but I can't wait to talk to you about it on Saturday after they get a big win at home against Tennessee, my man. boy. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Go ahead and leave a comment or you can give us a rate. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rocket flagship at Rocket Nation. You can also listen to BK on the radio if you're in St. Louis, 101 ESPN from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.